This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 19th day of December, 2023, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. How you doing today? It's Tuesday. Sliding into the week. Got all sorts of stuff going on. It's a busy week. Christmas Eve is Sunday. Christmas is Monday. Um, I got a youth group Christmas party is tomorrow night. So I'm excited about that. There's all sorts of things going on. Um, just, uh, just, it's a great time of year as we we celebrate Christmas, the birth of the Savior. Um, I got the the Mannheim Steamroller and uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra stuff playlist on my phone. <laughs> yeah, listening to that uh, that Christmas music. Um, uh, if you're not familiar with Trans Siberian Orchestra, it's Mannheim Steamroller with screaming guitars, basically. Um, very, very. There, there are the the similarities are marked marked between the two groups, and the uh, the the differences are also quite noticeable. But uh, they have a very similar vibe, um, and they both do some great Christmas music. So that's the sort of stuff that's in my playlist. Uh, whatever your Christmas playlist is, I hope you enjoy it. It, it was funny. I would, Last week, uh, Mrs. Squirrel and I were running around in town um, doing some errands. And then Saturday, you know, we were in town for the, the Grizz game and just going around in the stores and stuff. And, and we were sitting there eating lunch. Um, can't even remember what. In a fast food restaurant, and I don't remember which one. Oh, it was uh, Chick-fil-A. But even... In Burger King later when we had dinner on the way home on Saturday and other places walking through stores and stuff, it struck me that the Christmas soundtrack that is still being played in 2023 are the same songs from the 50s and 60s that were the Christmas soundtrack of my youth in the seventies and eighties. So the, the, there's a, there is a nostalgia associated with Christmas that is locked in, in American culture in that post-World War II era. The, the music is, is very much, you know, the, the 50s, 60s, 70s Christmas music, um, uh, you know, I mean, Bing Crosby, of course, but you know, Danny Williams. And, I mean, there's just a the 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 the, the music. It, there's a that's the Christmas music. Um, and there've been you know there've been some newer songs that have slowly added into that rotation, but it 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 strikes me as as quite interesting that some of the newer Christmas music, and I'm thinking specifically of Mariah Carey. Um, and can I be honest? All I Want for Christmas for, is You is a great song. It's a great Christmas song. But why is it so hated? Um, 
it, it just it cracks me up. Nobody wants to listen to that, but everybody wants to listen to Burl Ives singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, so it, it's a it's an interesting uh, interesting thing about Christmas music that there's you have you know the like I said you have the instrumental Mannheim Steamroller or Trans Siberian Orchestra stuff which everybody seems to very much appreciate and it's good background music at uh, at Christmas gatherings and whatnot so you've got that on the one hand and then on the other hand you have all these old you know Christmas standards. From you know the fifties and sixties, really mainly, that are are still being played today, in heavy rotation, as the the cultural Christmas music. Um, these are generally not you know explicitly Christian Christmas songs, but you know they're they're the cultural thing. You know, walking in a winter wonderland, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Um, you know, these are the things that, that have been, you know, the standards, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, all that, you know, those are the, those are still the nostalgic songs that are being played today because Christmas has a heavy nostalgic, um, trapping to it. Uh, I think it goes back even, you know, when we, when we picture Christmas in our heads, we're picturing, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the first Christmas, you know, you can picture the, you know, babe in the manger and the animals and all of that, which, as I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago is not exactly the accurate depiction of what it would have been like. Um, but when we, think about the celebration of Christmas so much of, because, you know, everything that, you know, Christmas trees, all of that stuff comes out of Victorian England. Now, yes, you'll, there's a whole history of Christmas trees going back before that, but it was Queen Victoria putting a Christmas tree in the palace. And there were family portraits of the the king and queen and the children in front of this Christmas tree in the palace. And that is what really um, led to the popularization of, of Christmas trees. So that late 1800s, Queen Victoria, Victorian England, and so much of our imagery of the celebration of Christmas is that Victorian imagery. Um, you know, a Christmas Carol set in Victorian England. Um, saw on Facebook or Twitter the other day somebody sharing um, John Denver's appearance on the Muppet Show when he did the Twelve Days of Christmas with the Muppets. And he's wearing stereotypical uh, urban Victorian clothing, the top hat and the whole, you know. Uh, uh, so, And he's standing in front of what looks like a Victorian storefront. You know, it's like a, a scene right out of The Christmas Carol. Um, so there's a heavy nostalgia associated with Christmas. A lot of us, when we get around Christmas time, we think about Christmas when we were kids. You know, I think about you know, Christmas morning, all of us sitting around the, the, the living room, opening our presents, and, and us kids always just wanting to tear into our presents, and mom wanting each one of us to take turns so that she can see, uh, uh, so she can watch each of us as we open our presents. Um, and I remember there were always the unwrapped gifts that were from Santa. So you would come out, and we each had our station. It was funny with you know, my my two sisters and I. We had you know, I had I had one of the chairs in the living room was where I would find my Santa gifts, 
and then my sisters had each end of the couch, one end for my for uh, for each sister, and that would be where our gifts from Santa were. Um, and then, of course, under the tree were all the wrapped gifts that uh, we had been staring at for weeks, wanting to tear into. And we just wanted to tear the wrapping paper off and see what we got. But Mom was always, no, we're going to take turns. She wanted to watch. Um, I learned now she wanted to write down who got what from who so that uh, she'd be able to send out thank you gifts or thank you cards. Um, which is something I am very bad about. <laughs> I, I really am. I, I, the social niceties are important and there's something I have been very lax about my whole life. I rarely send thank you cards. I rarely, you know, I send thank you texts. Okay. I send thank you texts and we'll just leave it at that. I'm also horrible about holiday gift giving. Um, there are only a very few people that I actually get gifts for. Um, now it's not that I'm not generous and I don't, I, I give things away all the time. Um, but I don't, I don't center it around birthdays and holidays except for, you know, my wife, my daughter, etc. Um, my mom, but I mean, my, my sisters, um, my sister Susan is always good about sending out gifts. She, she inherited mom's organization in that sense that she keeps track of everybody's birthdays and always gets a little something in the mail, um, which I greatly admire, but that's not me. You know, I'm not one of these people that just sends out a lot of gifts. And a lot of that comes from the fact that for most of my adult life, we were very destitute. Um, you know, I would get gifts for my daughter, gifts for my wife, and they were not big gifts. And I just couldn't afford to send gifts to anybody else to the point now that I, I don't even think about it. Um, but uh, it's not that it's not that I don't think about the people. It's just I don't plan getting gifts and stuff like that. But honestly, that whole gift exchange, it goes back to Victorian times. That's the, I mean, it, it predates that to one extent. But in, in popular culture, it was the Victorian times that settled our celebration culturally of Christmas, Christmas trees, Christmas carols, all of that, you know, very much from Victorian times. And then the post-war with, uh, with the popular music and, and, you know, Christmas specials on TV and, you know, we didn't have TV before the fifties, um, uh, Christmas movies, you know, Miracle on 34th street, post-war. Um, I, I, I can't think of a classic Christian movie that wasn't a post-war movie. Um, and a lot of that was the celebration of the peace of the end of World War II. So there's this, there's this nostalgia that is very much rolled into our celebration of Christmas even down to the fact that we're listening to the same music we've been listening to for 60, 70 years on Christmas. And I'm not talking about the ancient hymns. I'm talking about White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, so, you know, just something I noticed this last week and been thinking about um, as we, we the, the excitement is building in me as we're coming up on the holiday. So I, I'm, I'm just kind of rattling off some of that. And none of that was in my show notes. <laughs> what do we have planned for today? We have our scripture reading. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. 
And then we resume our study Bible level Bible study. Today we're going to be in Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 10. All right. Let us begin 15 minutes into the podcast with our prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture readings today are Genesis 12 and Psalm 12. So, beginning with Genesis chapter 12. And Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. So Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go forth to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. So he built an altar there to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a great famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it happened, as he drew near to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai his wife, Now behold, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and it will be when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let, me, let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Now it happened when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well because of her, and sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and male and female and female donkeys and camels came into his possession. But Yahweh struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for myself as a wife? So now, here is your wife, take her and go. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, 
and they sent him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. And now Psalm 12. For the choir director, according to the Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Save, O Yahweh, for the holy man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak worthlessness to one another. With a flattering lip and with a double heart they speak. May Yahweh cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says Yahweh. I will set him on the safety for which set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of Yahweh are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the ground, refined seven times. You, O Yahweh, will keep them. You will guard them from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1 by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is Postscript on Forgiveness. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew six fourteen and 15. Dr. MacArthur writes, Believers should forgive others because they have received forgiveness from God themselves. See Ephesians 1, 17. We cannot claim to know God's parental forgiveness that which keeps our fellowship with the Lord rich and open, apart from forgiving others in heart and word. Paul had this in mind when he wrote, I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. 1 Timothy 1.16 An unforgiving spirit not only is inconsistent for one who has been totally forgiven by God, but also brings the chastening of God rather than his mercy. Jesus states the truth of verse 14 in a negative way when he says, But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The sin of an unforgiving heart and a bitter spirit, Hebrew 12.15, forfeits blessing and invites judgment. We must seek to manifest the forgiving spirit of Joseph, Genesis 50.19-21, and of Stephen, Acts 7.60, 7, 7, 60, as often as needed, Luke 17, 3 and 4. To receive pardon from the perfect, perfectly holy God and then refuse to pardon others when we are sinful people is the epitome of the abuse of mercy. Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's James two thirteen. So be sure you are practicing forgiveness of others. Ask yourself, what breaks down in your relationship with God when you withhold forgiveness from those who have wronged or mistreated you? How does it choke out your openness and freedom in the Lord's presence? It is important to have a forgiving spirit, and it's good to be reminded of that. All right, we are in Matthew 21 today. Open my Bible here. And we are looking at verse 10 through the end of the chapter. It's actually four paragraphs. So I'm going to read each paragraph and then talk about it, and then we'll move on to the next paragraph We'll see how far we get. We may not get through it all today. I'm looking at the clock, and I did sp spend 15 minutes talking about Christmas music. So, all right. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 10. 
If you go out to battle against your enemies, and Yahweh your God gives them over into your hands, and you take them away captive, and see among the captives a beautiful woman, and set your affection on her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity, and shall remain in your house, and weep for her father and mother a full month. And after that you may go into her and be her husband, and she may, shall be your wife. And it will be that, if you do not desire her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her, because you have humbled her. So this is dealing with conquest, which we looked at in the last chapter. Um you know, about the spoil of the cities and stuff. And among the spoil of the cities that were to be carried away were the women. Um, obviously, again, this is, this is talking about cities that are far from, that are not in the promised land. These are the outlying areas that, for some reason, Israel is at war at. And the cause of the war is never addressed here. Why Israel is at war with these cities? Um and I think I, I mentioned yesterday or, or last week that, you know, peace is not the state of the world. We want peace, we desire peace, but peace is not the state of the world. And at any given time, you know, there's a war going on somewhere. And if your particular nation is not at war now, it soon will be. Um, war is a natural result of the conflict between sinful people at a national level. That's just, that it's reality. Um, comes from living in the sinful world. So this is part of the regulation about war. So, he says, if you go to battle against your enemies, and Yahweh your God gives them over into your hands, and you take them away captive. First, victory or defeat is up to God. Great and mighty armies have suffered defeat at, quote-unquote, the hands of lesser opponents. M numerically, materially, you know, I mean, we've... we've you know, we've seen that in history, where the small band, by the use of superior tactics or mischance, uh, the, an opponent's mischance or bad decision, that a small, weak band can defeat, a, a, on paper, mightier army. Um Prime example, the American Revolution. Any way you slice it, those 13 colonies that became the United States really had no business defeating the British Empire. It, 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 the, the fact that the United States won its independence by force of arms from England still is astonishing when you consider the disparity between the wealth and power of the two nations. You know, in, in on, on paper, you would think England would have crushed the Americas. It's not how it worked out. So it's, it's God who grants victory. It's God who, I don't know, grant, you know, orchestrates defeat, might be a better way to put it. So he says, if you go to battle against your enemies and Yahweh gives them into your hand. So give the credit to God. You know, anytime you win a battle, it's up to God. Anytime you lose a battle, that too is up to God. So keep that in mind. So you go to battle, go to battle against your enemies. Yahweh, your God, gives them over into your hands and you take them away captive. And you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and set your affection on her and would take her as a wife for yourself. 
So according to the war customs, female captives became servants of the victors. Now, in most cultures, in most situations, you know, military conquest is routinely uh, accompanied by rape and abuse and, and such as that. Israel was not to be that way. The captives were not to be abused in any way. Um, and that included you know, rape. Rape was punishable by death in ancient Israel. I would argue it should be punishable by death here, now. <laughs> but uh, nobody listens to me regarding that. But rape was punished by death. So, you know, grabbing a beautiful woman from among the captives and having your way with, with her was not acceptable for Israel. It's not acceptable for the people of Yahweh. And so, here is a regulation regarding that. You've won the battle, you've captured captives, and in the captives you see a beautiful woman and you desire her. So, this is a, you know, obviously speaking of a soldier who has, you know, has gone off to war, they're leading the captives back, and he is attracted to one of the women captives. Here's what he should do then. Now, first off, he says, you should take her as a wife. You, you desire to take her as a wife. That's what you want. So the, the, the understanding here is, is clear that, you know, dear young Israeli, Israelite soldier, if you want that woman, you have to marry her. We should still be teaching that. <laughs> and, and sadly, this is a culture that ignores that. You know, you desire a young lady, you win her heart and marry her. You don't just get to enjoy her and cast her off. That's not right. So, what do you do then in this case? It says, then you shall bring her home to your house. Now understand, unmarried men lived with their parents. So you're bringing this girl home to your mother and father, to, to your house, to where you're living. And there she's going to shave her head and trim her nails. These are signs of mourning. This is also removing a lot of the outward physical beauty characteristics. When you think about it. Now, Pierces Kimbasa in the Star Trek The Motion Picture proved to all the world that bald women can be beautiful. And I'm not saying that's not the case. But a woman's hair is something that men recognize right off. And long hair is attractive to men. Uh, uh, most men. Uh, not that short hair can't be cute too, but you know what I'm saying. So this is signs of mourning, and it's also, you know, in a way, making her a little bit less attractive. And she's to remove the clothes of her captivity. Okay. She's not supposed to run around naked. But it was a practice that um, when a city was falling, the women of the city would dress to be attractive to the invading army because they wanted to be they wanted their lives to be spared um, and, and, and they knew what that meant but they wanted you know they, they wanted to be found attractive so that they wouldn't be put to death um you know that that the indignities that they would most likely suffer were better than death in their eyes 
So there was a, a that they would, you know, dress in an attractive way in order to to hope that, you know, their their lives would be spared. So her lovely clothing was to be removed and she would still be dressed. <laughs> She's not parading around naked, but the object was to take away the, the festive clothing that she was probably wearing when she was captured and have her dress in normal morning wear. You know, the, the proverbial sackcloth and ashes, uh, or maybe even a step up from that, but something appropriate to mourning. And she shall remain in the house and and weep for her father and mother a full month. So you capture the woman, you bring her home, you find her attractive, you want her, and so you bring her into your house. She has her month of mourning, which is the standard length of mourning for the Jewish people. So this accomplishes a couple of things. First, excuse me, this is showing kindness to this captive woman. Think about it. Her city has been destroyed. Excuse me. Her city has been destroyed. She has been carried off captive. Um, her parents are dead. Brothers, you know, and it, it, it's assumed here that her mother died in the in the capture or was somehow, you know, in the fighting. But certainly, her father, her brothers, her, you know, or or her husband, if she had been married, had been killed. Because when the city fell, all the men would be put to death. So she ha she may have lost a husband. She may have lost a father, brothers. Her entire life has been uprooted. Everything she knows has been destroyed. And now she is a captive of a foreign people. So this is an act of kindness to give her time to mourn. And, you know, it also tests the strength of the man's affection. You know, you have this girl around for, for 30 days and you're like, you know, she looked cute to me on after the battle, but yeah, I'm not sure I want to marry her now. You know, so it, it, it tested the man's resolve. Is this, is this really the girl I want to marry? Well, after her 30-day mourning period is over, they could marry, assuming the man still wanted her. Now, this woman is a captive, and it is very true, she really doesn't have a say in it. Um, but a, a, a kind-hearted man would not force a woman into marriage. Um, so you hope the man would be kind-hearted. But, so she doesn't really have much of a say in this, but women in ancient cultures rarely did. Um, their influence lay, you know, I'm not saying that women weren't influential over their husbands. They were very influential over their husbands. But they often didn't get the the choice of husband that we do today, and and young men often didn't get the choice of brides that they do today either. Um, a lot of arranged marriages. So this is a a version of an arranged marriage, and the fact that you know you brought this captive home to your ho home meant that this young lady was probably being heavily scrutinized by your parents. <laughs> uh, is, is, is this an acceptable mother for my grandchildren would be a, a thing that uh, 
the, the would be running through the parents of the soldier who brought her home. But, uh, so the husband would would marry her. But if at the end of the 30 days he doesn't want to marry her, then she is free to go. She's not a slave. He can't sell her. She is not property. She is a free woman. So, in the one sense, this this would, you know, where, where other women captured in the same conditions who were not desirable for marriage by one soldier or another, they would be slaves. But this woman, who this man stated his desire for and took into his house for the 30 days of mourning, and then during that time he decided he didn't want to marry her after all, she was now free. And so he couldn't sell her, he couldn't mistreat her, because he had humbled her. He had uh, dishonored her, other translations say. Now, that could be that he dishonored her by sleeping with her. Um, so it could be talking about sexual activity. But it could also be the fact that, you know, he didn't desire her after the 30 days of having her in his home. His hot blood had cooled, and she, you know, wasn't what he really wanted. So, possibilities there. But he couldn't sell her. He couldn't mistreat her. She was a free woman. And she was allowed to to leave his home and go wherever she wished, um, free of this man. So... This is a regulation to protect these women captives from sexual abuse by their captors. They, they were not to be raped. They were not to be mistreated. If you wanted one, you had to marry them and with all that entailed. And so that was a, this is designed to protect these women captives. Um, and that's, that's very important then. And we'll just do this next paragraph and then we'll, we'll leave the, uh, um, and then we'll leave off there and pick up in verse 18 tomorrow. Verses 15 through 17. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day that he, in the day he wills what he has to his sons, he cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall recognize the firstborn the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the first of his vigor. The legal judgment for the firstborn belongs to him. This is protecting the inheritance in cases where a man has two wives. Now, this could be a case of polygamy, where a man has two wives concurrently, this could also be a case of um, uh, serial monogamy, where the first wife, the, the first marriage either ended in divorce or death. Um, and there's, there's some thoughts here that it might be that as well. It says, uh, if a man has two wives... Um, according to what I'm reading here in the Hebrew, it's, um, there's a past tense reading of that. So it could be a man who has had two wives. So it could be, you know, had one, now has another. 
But when it comes to the inheritance, the inheritance, the, the primacy of the firstborn son was to be protected. The way inheritance worked in ancient Israel, a woman's inheritance was the dowry of her marriage. So daughters got a dowry and they were gone. When the, the patriarch died, his estate is then divided among his sons. If he has no sons, then there were provisions for the estate to pass to the daughter's sons. But that's a different kettle of fish. So here, though, he says that, that you can't pass over the firstborn son if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved wife. Um, the man has two wives, one he loves, one he doesn't love. Um, just a, the situation is frightening. Um, just in my mind, it's hard to, to grasp that. But, you know, if you didn't, didn't love the first one, why did you, or, you know, why would you marry two women and not love them both? I mean, I, I'm just, it's, it's, it, you know, why would you marry a woman who was unloved or did this unloved develop or, you know, there's all sorts of questions here that, that we're not given answers to, but the, the question is in the inheritance. That's what is spoken of. So it says you can't pass over the firstborn son of the unloved wife in favor of the son of the loved wife if the firstborn son is the son of the unloved wife. So you, you couldn't change which son you would give primacy to. The firstborn was the firstborn. That's not determined by you. That's determined by birth order, which is ultimately determined by God. And the way the inheritance worked, if if a man had, let's say a man had four sons. We won't worry about who's mom to who or any of that. Man has four sons. His estate would be divided into five parts. The firstborn son would get two parts. The remaining three sons would get one part each. And that's what it says. That that's the double portion. So it's like you got five people eating a pie. You cut the pie into six pieces. The firstborn gets two pieces. Um, and it's just saying that you, you can't change your will and say, yeah, Ralph is the firstborn, but I'm going to give the inheritance to Bob. And it, and, and, and it protects, so it protects all of the children. And in this specific case, it's talking about the fact that you got, the man has children by two wives. Um, and, and sadly, I have seen this in cases of divorce, which is entirely too prevalent in our society. Um, and and the, the number of broken homes is staggering. But I have seen, you know, man gets divorced, remarries, has children with the second wife, and just starts totally ignoring children he had with the first wife I've seen it and it's it's sad and it should not be and it certainly ought not be among God's people um, but this is saying you, you, you can't do that when it comes to the inheritance so protecting these it, it protects the rights of these children um, and so that's that's an important thing also, so we're kind of dealing with some domestic issues here. Like I said, we'll pick up in, in verse uh, uh, verse 18 tomorrow. Let me move my 
bookmark back into my Bible where we will begin tomorrow and uh, look forward to that. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the third Sunday in Advent. O Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way of our salvation. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your ministries, mysteries may likewise make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. For peace, O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you as eternal life and to serve you as perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home. And number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. I hope you have a great day. Um, just keep plugging along. Uh, I hope you have a few days coming up, coming up with uh, the Christmas vacation. Thanks for, for giving us some time this morning. Um, time in the Word and, and listening to me ramble on about Christmas music. <laughs> but have a great day. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Scroll Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.